You know, the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about submission, haven't we? Boy, God knows how to get to us, doesn't he? And he's been hitting this subject matter over and over and over again. And today we're going to talk about it as well. And the subject is, again, about submission. And the only way that we can submit to God is if we die to ourselves. We die to ourselves. So this morning as we head into the word of God, we again approach another passage that is often misunderstood. It's a passage that sometimes we glaze over, we jump over. But I believe that today, with the help of the Holy Spirit, we're going to give it some justice and understand what it is that God is teaching us in these final areas of submission that Peter felt the need to respond to, the need, the need to address in his message. And you got to think about it. You know, when you think about who Peter is talking to, he is talking to Christians that are scattered, right? He's talking to Christians that are struggling in their walk with God because they're away from family, they're away from friends, they're away from people that they know. And yet, what do we see Peter doing? Not saying to them like, hey, I'm so sorry you're going through this difficult time. He says, no, you need to stand strong. You need to do the right thing. Uh, you need to submit to God. You need to have a good testimony, have a right, uh, a right response, even though you're in a very difficult situation. And the same is gonna be true today as we continue into our passage where we discover And once again, are reminded of how important submission is. So, so far, just a quick reminder, we've talked about how we're to be submitting to the government in specific areas that uh, they are over us. That's an authority that God has placed over us. We are to submit as well to our workplaces. And in both instances, remember, it is anchored in the submission of Jesus Christ and what he exemplified for us when he died on the cross for our sins. When he willfully submitted his heart and he submitted his will and he submitted to the Father and he died on the cross for the sins of all mankind. And what we have understood is that willful submission, so I'm talking about willful submission. This is not forced submission, by the way. This is a willful submission of our lives and placing ourselves under what God has ordained is one of the most Christ-like models that we can exemplify to the world around us. And as Jesus submitted himself to the authority of the Father, so should we submit ourselves to the authority structures that God has put in place. Now, this is an important biblical truth that we need to understand because not only is it God's way of creating structure and fulfillment in the life of a believer, But submission is an attitude that God can use to bring unbelieving people to a knowledge of his son. So there's a a whole thing here that we need to understand that when God places barriers and God places authority in our life and God places protection for us, it is there for our benefit and for our good. So often we resist any kind of restriction. You know, just have a child and you understand that, you know, don't eat 10 cookies before bed, you know, or whatever it may be. And you understand the resistance. That's all innate within all of us. But we also recognize that as a parent, when my kids don't eat 10 cookies before they go to bed, they don't wake up at 2 a.m. throwing up 10 cookies, right? There's this, there's you get the phrase, tossing your cookies, I think. That's where it comes from. Kids eating cookies when they're not supposed to. And so we understand that concept, and that's how it is with God. These authority things, though we see them and we may think, as we did two weeks ago, what are you talking about, God? Submit to governments. (laughs) You know, what are you talking about? Submit uh, to those that are over me, my, 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 uh, my boss and the people that I work for. The same thing God is doing here is he's placing us within, uh, sometimes scripture you could describe it as like a hedge of protection. It's a protection around us to keep us in a place where we can be the most fulfilled and know and understand God's true desire and his will for our lives. Now, Peter is writing this passage in a time of great upheaval in the culture. 
Anybody, remember this is in the Roman Empire, occupied Roman territories. If somebody became a Christian, and we've covered this in some of our earlier ones, but if someone became a Christian, they would have been singled out. If they had made it known that they were a Christian, they would have been persecuted for their faith. And specifically, we're going to talk about it a little bit today, women specifically would have been and had a difficult time should they have revealed that they had become a follower of Jesus Christ. Because last week when we talked about the idea of slavery and how slaves were essentially the property, well, essentially they were, they were the property of their masters. In the Roman Empire in that day as well, women were considered property to the men that they were married to or betrothed to or sold to or whatever. They were literally considered their property. And so for a woman to be in that kind of an environment and then to discover that in Jesus Christ you are valued and you are loved and you are created in his image, for them the transformation that would have taken place in their heart would have brought with it some challenges as they still found themselves under that same system that was in place where they were considered property. And just like slaves who became believers faced challenges in their new relationship with Jesus Christ, women who discovered their newfound freedom in Jesus Christ, praise God for that. By the way, I want to tell you, the Bible always elevates the position of women in any society that they are in. They are the ones that have led the way, okay? So don't let anybody tell you, oh, the Bible subjugates women and and holds women back. No, 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 no. Scripture elevates women to a position that they have never been, and by the way, not never been, in previous pagan societies, and they have elevated them to where they need to be, who they are in Jesus Christ. So recognize that. But these women who have become believers now find themselves married to maybe a pagan individual, a Roman citizen, and now they're free in Christ. Well, now how do they operate within that same sort of subjective culture that they find themselves in? Throughout history, the historical record of this time even taught or teaches us that there were some that had a growing sentiment that now that they were free in Christ, then therefore they were free to only worship Christ and not be, I guess, in submission to their husbands or whatever the environment was. And so there was also some issues there. But what we notice as we approach this passage that Peter approaches the idea in a completely different way. By the way, it hasn't how, that's how he's done it the whole time, hasn't he? Right? He's, taken, he's not said, all right, you slaves, you need to fight for your freedom and you need to escape and everyone needs to take off. No, he says you need to live for Christ in the environment that you're in and let transformation take place from the inside. And this is what we see happening as we move into the subject of husbands and wives and this idea, this scriptural principle of submission. Now, I want you to know this morning, this is not just speaking about a Christian wife and a unbelieving husband. This applies to two believing spouses as well, the principles that we're gonna be covered because they are also connected in other passages. We'll do, we'll do the work of that this morning. The other thing I wanna recognize is that while I am primarily talking to husbands and wives today, many of you are single. Whoop, whoop, okay. <laughs> many of you are single today. And, and, I am, and, and, and by the way, singleness is a blessing. Singleness is a blessing. It depends on how you look at it, okay? But it is. It can be a blessing. God can use you. You can give more to serving God at this point than you'll ever be able to do at any other point in your life. And so be thankful for that. But those of you that are single, I don't want you to tune me out, okay? Some of you are like, oh, man, yeah, all right, forget it. Neither do you, those of you that are married, do I want you to be thinking about your spouse during this message. That's the temptation, by the way. Okay, Jeanette? I don't want you thinking about your spouse... (laughs) During this time, I want you to be thinking about yourself. I want you to be thinking about your role, your God-given role within the relationship. 
And for those of you that are single, I do want to mention that even though you may not be anywhere near marrying right now, the truth is, is that these will help you be the right person for the right person that is to come into your life. So we are going to look at God's plan for a healthy, thriving marriage. It is countercultural. It does not fit into what the world is telling you today, okay? It is not going to be, uh, it's not going to line up with the model that you see in some magazine or, you know, online blog about celebrity marriages. No, this is a marriage that's going to point others to Jesus Christ as you, submitting yourself to Christ, are able to work through these principles here. So let's talk about submission in the home this morning. Submission in the home. And let's begin reading verse number one and verse number two. He says, likewise ye wives. So he's speaking here specifically to wives. Likewise ye wives, be in subjection. That's the same word that we've seen all the way through here that is translated subjection, submission, hypotasos. Be in subjection to your own husbands. By the way, that's a quantifier there. I just want to make that very clear. The the one that you are married to, not all men, Okay, so that goes for you that are single. You are not subject to all men. Okay, this is a specific instance that he's talking about here. Be in subjection to your own husbands that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Now, I highlighted the word likewise because it is a connecting word back to the discussion that we've already been in surrounding the submission of Christ in chapter 2, verse 21 through 25, speaking of Jesus and his total submission, putting aside his, his, uh, his deity, or not putting aside his deity, but putting aside his strength, really, to submit himself to the cross. And so what he's saying here is that likewise, in the same way that Christ submitted himself, in the same way that you submit yourself to government, in the same way that you submit yourself to your boss, in that same way, you are to submit yourself within this authority structure within the home. Now, just be clear, this is not a comparison here of wives to slaves, okay? This is simply, and this is all this is, is, is an authority structure that God has placed for the good of, of relationships and for the glory of God. That's what it is. And here's the truth. God has a place for everything, doesn't he? God is a God of order, And he has ordained various levels of authority within our government and within our our society structure. But as well, he has ordained a structure within the home. And the husband is to be the head of the home. Ephesians chapter 5 is another passage that deals with this where it says, Wives, submit, that's the same word, submit yourselves therefore, uh, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, say it with me, love your wives, okay? Love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. The quantitative responsibility or the quantitative requirement is the responsibility of the husband to, first of all, submit himself to Christ, to love his wife as Christ loved the church in a sacrificial, uh, giving way. And it always is to be in a position of mutual respect and love. The verse right before that passage, verse 21, is so important to understand. This is why context is is important. Because it says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of love. So this position of authority that God has placed for marriages is based off of the equal submission within the spiritual realm of one to another. So there's a submission to each other, but then when it comes to the home, there is a head that God has established 
for the home. By the way, this is the ideal situation. Is this, does this always happen? No. That's why we're talking about it. That's why Peter mentions it, because today I'm hopeful that some of you husbands will step into that role of true leadership as you should. We typically only find that women step into a position of leadership either because they, they demand it or because the husband is not doing it. And so now we're seeing God's position. So God says, listen, I, this is my plan. This is the idea that I want here. It has nothing to do with equality. We are equal before God, but this is the role that God has established. Listen, headship in the home is not dictatorship. Now I know we are all well aware of what a dictator looks like now, right? <laughs> but the loving exercise of authority Loving exercise of authority that takes place within a Christian home happens because of the oversight of the Lord Jesus Christ within that home. Now, the subject of submission in marriage is not popular. <laughs> it is probably the most unpopular subject in Christianity, possibly. And it's often misunderstood, even though it is taught in quite a few places throughout the New Testament. But just because something isn't popular doesn't mean it isn't right. The more that we are Christians, the more that we live in this society, the more we recognize that our views Scriptural views are not popular, but yet we still obey them because God gave them to us. And God has commanded this because in his wisdom, he knows. This is a trust factor. This is a faith thing right here. God knows that this is the best and the most fulfilling marriage possible is in biblical, willful submission within the roles that God has placed. I, I, I feel like I need to overemphasize this, but biblical subjection does not mean that the wife is inferior in any way. So if you are somehow twisting that to believe this, either you're a wife or a woman and you're twisting it to believe that that's somehow putting you in a position of, of suffering, or if you're on the husband side of things and you're like, oh yeah, that's right. You know, you better do what I say. No, 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 no. A million times no. Let's just think about this logically for a moment. Women, would God ever command his daughters to be put in a position where they can be abused? Would he ever do that? Is that how our God is? God says, no, I want, I, want, I want every woman that I created in my image, I want them all to be in a position where they can, they can be abused. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So when God, gives us, when God gives us teaching, when God says, this is the way, okay, right? What is it, the Mandalorian, right? This is the way, right? When he says, this is the way, it's because it is the best way. And we can trust it, and we can have faith that God knows what he is talking about. See, submission has to do with order and authority, not evaluation. Evaluation means judgment or appraisal. This is not about anybody's value here. This is simply about structure that God has put in place. Later on, we're going to see that Peter made it clear that the husband and wife are heirs together. There's that equality of being an heir together by God, And we are made by the same creator out of the same material. We are made in God's image. And did you know that God gave dominion of this earth to both Adam and Eve? In Genesis chapter 1, if you want to look that up. And of course, we know Galatians 3 tells us that in Christ we are all one. We are all one. Just to emphasize this a little bit more. <laughs> Think about the idea of slavery. Wouldn't you agree with me that probably a lot of the slaves were far better than their masters? In fact, we know from Roman history that many people who were doctors, theologians, I mean, they were, they were, they were slaves. And they were way smarter than their masters, yet the command was, okay, to be under subjection. Many of you are more qualified than your boss. 
I can tell by the giggle there that that's true, right? You are more qualified than your boss, yet you are required because of the organizational structure of your company that you are to be in subjection to that boss. Even Christ himself that I mentioned laid aside his glory to be a servant to accept God's order. Does that mean that, that Jesus was being abused? No, he willingly placed himself in that position for the betterment of you and I, and we, are, of course, are thankful for that. I will be the first to admit this morning that my wife is way better than me, 100%. She is way smarter than me, <laughs> and uh, she is better than me in so, so many ways. And uh, I, I want to say face, so I won't name all the ways. I wrote some down, but I won't, I won't name them all. But she is just, just take my word for it. She is way smarter than me, yet I'm thankful that my wife, though she is better than me in so many things, she chooses the security of submission to my leadership. I want to say that again. She chooses the security of submission to my leadership. Jeanette's faith-filled, and I'm not here to puff her up today. She's already upset. Look at her. She's sitting up straight. She's stiff. She's staring at me. She's upset. <clears throat> she's not perfect, by the way, okay? But she's great at this. Here's what I want you to know. Her faith-filled submission to my leadership gives her security. It gives her security. Here's why. Because she knows that within our relationship, she's walking within God's command, and she's being obedient to God in putting herself in that position of submission to me as the head of the home. And that, that gives her great security. That is something that, that she desires, is security in our marriage. And guess what? It takes a lot of pressure off of her as well to have to control things. Scripture's pretty clear that the husband is the one who's going to give an account for his family. It doesn't say that about the wife. The husband, with that, that, that command of headship, comes with it a great responsibility as well. And so she places herself in that security, and I would encourage you, that's, that's a, a way to look at it and to understand it, is that it is a security of submission. And guess what? God, it works. God's not a dummy. He knows what he's talking about, okay? And as the loving husband that I am supposed to be, and we're going to cover that in a few minutes, I then look at that and understand that and appreciate that and am grateful from that, for that and recognize my own, my own shortcomings, which are many, and I say, Jeanette, what should we do <laughs> in this situation? Because I know that she has that strength in that particular area. By the way, we, um, Jeanette and I were able to speak at a marriage retreat last November, and we talked about this exact passage and we went up and did it together, and Jeanette did an awesome job on it. And so I would encourage you, if you guys want to hear it from her, hear this passage from Jeanette. Uh, for the ladies, uh, let me know, and I would love to get you the audio for that. Um, she did a fantastic job. But let's just continue to emphasize. The Bible shows us <laughs> that God has made men and women equal in design, but different in calling in order to complement one another. It's called a complementary view and that is clearly taught in Scripture. So we see this command from God that, okay, wives, you are to submit yourselves unto your own husbands within the home. But again, remember, there's a context to this. And the context that Peter has here is that the submission of a saved wife to an unsaved husband is an opportunity. So it's a command. Submission is a command. But submission is also an opportunity. Look there at the verse. That if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation. Conversation, that's her conduct, her lifestyle. That they might be won to Christ by the life lifestyle, the conduct of the wives while they behold your chaste conversation. Now, in the first century, when a man came to Christ, we know from example, think about the Philippian jailer, it says that he became a believer and he brought his whole house, right, to church. 
But we don't see that in the early New Testament church. We see many instances where uh, Paul or others would just mention the names of many different women that were active in serving and involved in the church. And there's no mention of their husbands at all. And it's because in this society, maybe uh, someone had one or two wives and one wife became a Christian and that's sort of, you know, and he wasn't going to go along with that. That was kind of her thing. And so uh, she had to live within this whole situation here. We recognize that if she became belligerent or upset about it or, hey, I'm a Christian now, you can't, you know, uh, I can't be treated like this and all of these things, that it could endanger even her very life. And so Peter here gives a better way when you find yourself in an abusive or a difficult situation. If you're a wife and you find yourself in a situation when you have an ungodly husband. And it takes the pressure off here by saying to them, listen, you don't need to win them by your word. Did you see that there in the verse? If any obey not the word... They also may without the word. So he's talking about the word of God, first of all. And he's also talking about the word, meaning you don't have to go and preach to him all the time, is what he's trying to say. I heard, about a, I heard about a wife that became a Christian, and she so desperately wanted to convert her husband. So all day long when he was at home, as soon as he'd come home from work, she would go right away, and she would turn on preaching on the radio, you know? And, uh, and she would just turn it on and just, you know, what, what? I'm, you know, I'm listening to this, and, and guess what? <clears throat> That gave him an excuse just to go out every night. <laughs> so he's taken the pressure off that they don't have to win them by the word, by preaching at them, but they can be won by their chaste conversation, their conduct. And so he gives her this better way, just like he says to us when it comes to the government. We're not to be out overthrowing the government. No, we're to make change through transformation. We're not to be, you know, screaming at our boss. We're to be changing things from the inside because transformation takes place in the heart. And so what he's trying to say is that for the wife that has an unbelieving husband, she can win him by simply practicing her faith. And at the very best outcome, they would become a believer. At the very least, they'd be able to practice their faith unhindered, without pressure and without being attacked or withheld from following the Lord. And so he gives her this way, which is always the Christian way, which is being who we are because of whose we are and seeing that transformation take place from the inside. Now, again, when it comes to the subject of submission and wives to husbands, I recognize that there's a lot of challenges that come up with this. I think some of these challenges definitely would have been seen within the local church. And I don't know why. Honestly, I don't know why Peter didn't get super specific about stuff. You know, sometimes you wonder, like, Peter, why don't you just give us a list, man? Like, you know, do all of these things and it'll all work out. He doesn't do that. A lot of scripture doesn't do that. There's elements, of course, of course, fruit of the Spirit, things that are lists of things that we should pursue. But for the most part, he just says, listen, live, let your life affect. And I think the reason he does that is because so often our lives do not reflect Jesus Christ. So he says, let your life reflect Christ and change can and change will happen. But I recognize there are challenges. Both of you, many of you women that are here, whether you're married or single, you've seen the worst of a husband and wife relationship. Some of you have had terrible abusive father relationships. And I understand the fear and I understand the pain that comes from this subject matter, but I want to be very clear. Biblical submission, just like governmental submission, does have limits as well within Scripture. So I want to make that as clear as well as we work through this. There are limits to that. This, is, this, this does not mean that if your husband asks you to sin or if your husband asks you to abandon your faith that you should do it. Okay, these are the, we, we always have to be careful as Christians, right? We want to be balanced. 
We don't want to go to one extreme or the other extreme. So we want to be balanced in this. And so just because it says, all right, submit to your unsaved husband or submit to your abusive husband, okay, that means that, okay, he wants me to sin. He wants me to do something, something wrong. He wants me to abandon my faith that I should do it. No, absolutely not. Guess what it doesn't mean? It doesn't mean that you should always agree with him. Yes, husband. Yes, husband. No, come on. Come on. God did not create you that way. That doesn't mean that you, always, you never present a differing view. It does not mean that if he is unfaithful to you that you're left without biblical recourse. It does not mean if he abuses you physically or abandons you or treats you, mistreats you that you somehow remain quietly in the home and just accept the daily cruelty and abuse of that relationship at all costs. Not at all. There are recourses that are given to us in Scripture as well. You are God's daughter and you are deserving of the highest respect and godly treatment. And if you are in a challenging situation, if you are with an unbelieving spouse, or you have a saved husband who's mistreating you, you should get help from trusted people to help you think through the biblical responsibilities and the biblical recourse and action that is available. You need to know what is appropriate, honorable, biblical, and wise. But if you do not fall into some of these extreme situations, we need to recognize that this principle applies to you. Wise, this principle applies to you. See, submission is a command. It is an opportunity. But as we continue in the passage here, it's also an ornament. An ornament. Let's talk about this here as we come to verse number three. It says, Whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel. Okay, so let's just stop right here for a second. Because I know sometimes we look at this and, 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 and as wives, the temptation, as, as ladies, uh, the temptation is like, oh man, like we can't, we can't look good. Notice how it says here, putting on of apparel. Is it God's desire for you to not wear clothing? Okay, no. Okay, so we understand that, okay? This is, let's not get extreme with this here, okay? I'm going to explain this. But, verse 4, here's the key. If you want to underline anything, underline these, this uh, part of the verse. Let it be the hidden man of the heart. Of course, that's speaking of our humanity, that's obviously men and women, in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament, look at this, the ornament, something that you wear of a meek and quiet spirit. Meekness is not weakness, okay? It's strength under control. And men, you need that, don't you, when you're a wife? Husbands are the worst. I, okay, that's wrong. They're not the worst. They're just tough sometimes, aren't they? Sometimes you need to have strength under control. You can talk to Jeanette about that later on. I told her, I'm sorry, I said I wasn't going to invoke your name too much today, but I, I just feel like I need to. It's a hard message for me to preach, so I need to, you know, make sure she's with me. I preached it to her last night as we laid in bed, just so you know. She got, she got the full message, so. And she, she said it was okay. Everybody, okay, all right, we'll stop there. Let it go. Um... <laughs> Where I didn't finish. Ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. There is something that is so valuable to God, far more than how a person looks on the outside. The thing that is most valuable to God is what is on the inside. You know, the Roman Empire was an empire that was hugely focused on outward beauty. through expensive, beautiful clothing, jewelry, even if you study it out, it's really interesting, unique and impressive hairstyles. I'm talking like, how did they do that kind of hairstyles? 
And that was a huge part of their culture. But again, we have to remember, Roman women were viewed as objects for the sinful lusts of men. Primarily, that was their primary viewpoint, is that women are only here to meet my sexual and sinful needs. That is the viewpoint that they had. And so because of that, and like anybody who finds themselves in abusive situations like that, there was a lot of competition for who was the best, in, you know, who was the one who could be the most pleasing, who is the, who's the greatest trophy wife, you know, is the, the phrase they use today. And there was tons of competition, and they competed in the way that they presented themselves. Now, thankfully, nobody cares about that stuff today, right? But it was a real focal point in their society. I was being sarcastic. The point that Peter is making is this. If a Christian wife who has an unsaved husband might find herself falling into the entrapment of believing that she needed to imitate the world all around her to win him over. Speaking to wives, Peter is saying here that, listen, those that are tempted that, you know, the glamorous life or this huge focus on the external needs to be, you know, everything that they're all about. He's saying here that, listen, it's not a true reflection of the heart. In fact, he says here, it's artificial. It's even disingenuous as to who a person really is. And so the focus should not be on cultivating the external, but rather cultivating the inner beauty, um, which is timeless and is real. Simply put, the Christian woman, the Christian wife, is one whose primary focus is on internal beauty and will not find their worth and will not find their value in the things that the world does. Now, I know that I am a man. I recognize that today. And I recognize that in some ways, um, I, have to, I have to really be careful as to how I speak about these things. But I want to just encourage you from the word of God, what Peter said here, ladies, cultivate inner beauty. Cultivate inner beauty. Cultivate inner beauty. Let Christ be the garment that you wear. Let that be the most seen aspect about your life. Let his righteousness, don't give in to the outward-focused, Instagram-filter-using lifestyle that we live in. Why are filters so popular? Because it gives us and presents something that's not reality. It's something that maybe we want it to be. And, And that is of the world that is not of Christ. True beauty comes from the heart, not from the store. And listen, God is concerned about values, not prices. That is what God is concerned about, about values, not prices. Now, let me just say this. It does not mean (laughs) that you cannot be up to date in your styles. This does not, I'm not giving you a reason to say, well, Sweatpants, it is, you know, <laughs> the rest of my life. <laughs> Hoodies and sweatpants, I'm just giving up. No, 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 of course not. It simply means that it is not your focus. Listen, I, I, I think this, this helped me, by the way. I don't need to live my life competing with other people. I don't need to live my life. And listen, ladies, you don't need to live your life competing. And by the way, that should not be happening within the local church either. It's not, a, it is not a competition. It means, though, that your focus is on the Lord. And can I say this to you, husbands? Don't you ever make your wife feel like she's competing with other women. Don't you ever make her feel like that. Don't ever make her feel like she has to act or be a certain way to keep you around or to keep you from lusting or to keep you from pornography. Come on. Don't you ever make her feel like that. 
And in the same way, wives, you should also talk to your husband with what he's comfortable with. That he's comfortable with how you present yourself to the world. I'm going to be just real with you right now. There's been times where I've asked Jeanette to change her clothes, to wear something different. You say, how misogynistic, you jerk. You know why I asked her? Because I I felt she looked too good. Okay, let's just get real here. Our society's fascination with hotness is not appropriate to Christian relationships. Did you know that the sexual relationship between a husband and wife is reserved for the marriage bed, not for the work boardroom? And if you're presenting areas of your life at work, in public, on social media, you're breeding insecurity in your spouse. And truthfully, you're making it look like you're available. This goes both ways, okay? I know everybody loves to give a good flex picture in the gym. I get it. (laughs) Right? What, What are we saying, church? What are we saying? Peter says here, listen, the focus needs to be on the inward beauty. And I think sometimes, man, this is a struggle. This is a struggle. And this is why I love expository preaching, because I didn't plan this out for today, okay? (laughs) We're going verse by verse. Peter says, listen, I want to tell you guys, I'm going to talk to you guys for a minute. Women struggle with insecurity. Did you know that? If you didn't know that, it's time to awaken to that, (laughs) all right? They struggle with that. And guess what, wives? You know what guys struggle with? Insecurity. As much as they eat a big old hamburger, they're insecure, okay? As much as they don't care about... (laughs) Never mind. (laughs) They don't care about how they smell and how they sound in the home. They're insecure, though. They're insecure. We all operate in a level of insecurity, don't we? And so we need to... In Christian love and in respect to one another, be aware of how we present ourselves to others so that our spouse feels secure. Feels secure. He gives us an example in verse 5. Let's move on to verse 5. He says, For after this manner in the old time, he gives us an example, the holy women also who trusted in God ordained, uh, adorned themselves, uh, sorry, not ordained, adorned themselves, being in subjection to their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. I don't think the slide switched for me here. We'll give it another shot calling him Lord, and then he says this, whose daughters ye are, um, whose daughters ye are as long as ye do well and are not afraid with any amazement. So he gives us this example here, and he closes out the point there in verse five and six by giving us an example of women who have gone before, women who exemplified their trust in the Lord, and he gives this example here of Sarah, the wife of Abraham, who's given to us an example of a godly, submissive wife. Now, I'd encourage you ladies, do a personal Bible study on Genesis 18 and learn about Sarah. If you're like, okay, she, she, is, she is given to us as an example of a submissive wife to her husband, I want you to go and you'll learn that Sarah was a bold, godly woman who spoke her mind and who made mistakes <laughs> and yet, she was honored in Hebrews 11 as a woman of great faith, and here in this passage, as a woman who was submissive. Now, I know we all kind of lock into where she says, it says here that she called Abraham Lord. Okay, like, that would make me uncomfortable. So, I, I think that's, I, I don't know if that's the main point here. I think the point being of this is that if, if 
you wives called your husband Lord? And I don't recommend this. Okay, this is not a recommendation. Here's the point. But if you use that very respectful term towards your husband, somebody should believe you when you say it. Does that make sense? Wow, she really, she really does. That you're not just mocking him, right? And please, guys, don't ever, don't, if any of you go home and say, I will only be referred to as Lord from now on. <laughs> Wrong. Wrong, okay? You want to ruin your husband, do that, right? <laughs> do that. But the point is, is that a godly wife sees her submission as obedience to Christ. And you know what's so cool about it? It says there at the end of the verse, um, in verse number uh, five and six there, he says, as long as you do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Do you see that there? He says, if you, if you do that and you live in this way, you will not be afraid. What does it mean? I've already touched on it a little bit, but God's never gonna ask you to put yourself in a position of abuse. Sometimes the, sometimes the reason that submission doesn't happen in the home is because the wife is simply afraid to do it. She may even know that it's right. Like, I know this is the right thing to do, but I'm afraid. Why? Because their own father abused them. Because they saw their parents have an abusive relationship. They're, they've seen other people. They don't trust. I'll say this. Their husband has abused them. Their husband hasn't treated them right. And so they say, if I step into that biblical role, then I'm putting myself in a position of abuse. I'm putting myself in a position where I'm going to be, be hurt. He says here, though, if you willingly put yourself in that position, as God says, you do not need to be afraid. Some wives are afraid to do this simply because they don't want to give up their control of the home and of their husband. Some of you wives are submissive to your children, therefore you cannot be submissive to your husband. Because your child is everything that you have submitted yourself to and you've, and you've locked him out. I want you to notice in all these passages about relationships, kids are never mentioned in there. I find that so interesting. He talks about the relationship with the husband and wife because you know what the best thing for your kids is? Is a godly relationship for the husband and wife together. That's the best thing for your kids. That is the best thing. Kids can adapt, <laughs> can't they? They are resilient. It is amazing what our kids can deal with and go through. And guess what? The best place for them to flourish is not by you submitting to them and to everything that they want. The best thing for your child is for you to willfully submit, both of you, into a godly relationship and teach your children to submit to their roles of authority as well. That's all very, very biblical. Now, that's just one side of the relationship. Because you wives right now are just itching. Like, let's get after these husbands. That's right, get them, as Jeanette said. Okay, so I knew it was going to take me some extra time today, but uh, you're all with me, so we're just going to get after it, okay? Here we go. Let's keep moving, and we see submission uh, to the home. The next point is submission to the home. So we have submission in the home, but now we're going to look at submission to the home. Look at verse number 7. See that word again? Likewise. You see that? Likewise, in the same way as Christ submitted himself, ye husbands dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Now, at first glance, and your first glance is correct, there have been six verses dedicated to the responsibility of the wife, and now we have one verse that is dedicated to the responsibility of the man. And it seems a little unfair, doesn't it? But as Jeanette so wisely pointed out to me, men and women are different, aren't they? 
Sometimes women need a few more words to get things across, don't they? And sometimes men just like it short and to the point, (laughs) right? And so that's what God does. He is eloquent. He gives details. He speaks a little bit more to the women to understand. And then to the guys, in one verse, he just gives it to us. He says, listen, you better get it together, is what he's saying here. And it's a strong call to men. And I call it submission to the home because what it means here is that men are not getting off easy in this. They think, you know, women think, ah, they're just lazy and they're just going to get off so easy. You know, God is misogynistic. No, the husband is to submit himself not only to God primarily, but also to the home as a whole. And I want to make this point out right now is that, listen, for you guys that had terrible father figures, I want to tell you this right now, regardless of who your dad is, This is the answer right here. You don't have to repeat the sins of your father. You don't have to repeat it. And so I'm going to cover some things quickly so that men will get it, okay? And I'll get to the point, but let's just cover it here very quickly. First of all, he says here that a husband uh, knows his wife. A A godly husband will know his wife. Look back at verse number seven again. Verse number seven again in the beginning. He says, likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. Here he says that you are to know your wife. The idea of knowing your wife comes from the phrase according to knowledge. And the word knowledge is important here. It's a Greek word, and this is what it means, knowledgeable about something or someone. In this context, what it's telling us, guys, is that we need to have a PhD in our wives. That's what it means. You need to have a doctorate level education of who your wife is. That means you know her strengths, her weaknesses, her fears, her passions, her doubts, her joys, her gifts, her desires, her concerns, her comforts, her discomforts, her tendencies, and what she doesn't like about you. You need to know those things. (laughs) But this is not so you can win at, you know, trivia night. It is the key to loving your wife effectively. It goes beyond knowing cake and, you know, and what size she is or her shoe size. It includes an element of spiritual knowledge that is so important within a marriage relationship, meaning this, the husband should know the Bible and he should know it in such a way that he can address his wife's spiritual challenges from the word of God and be a blessing to her in that way. Meaning you take responsibility as a godly husband for knowing your wife and putting that knowledge into action. This is when we as husbands are most like Jesus Christ. When you read passages like Ephesians 5, like we talked about, Colossians chapter 3, verse 19, it is obvious that loving our wives like Jesus is the ultimate goal. Now today we live in a world where men prove that they are very good at loving themselves, don't we? They are so good. I know Jeanette gives me a hard time. Like, your hobbies are so expensive. That's true. They are, you know, Uh, because I'm good at loving myself. (laughs) I'm good at finding a way. Like, man, I want to golf, and it's, I need, I need to do this, so I'll figure out a way. Whatever the hobby is, we always find the money for what we want to buy. And truthfully, I'm not saying those things are sinful, but the point is, is that men are really good at loving themselves, and they do a poor job of loving their wives in the same way. And so we need to know our wife. We need to know what she's all about. We need to know what makes her tick. And we need to make and use our time and our wisdom and our treasure and our opportunities to bless and to benefit our wives. We need to love her just like we love ourselves. You know, the the old adage of a guy, you know, you want to see how weak a guy is, give him a cold, right? You know, and they lay in bed and take four days off. You know, call my mom, and you know, and we're so we we get so <laughs> we get so sick, and and why? It's because we care so much about ourselves that if anything is wrong, it's like the the worst thing. It's the end of the world, you know, because we love ourselves so much. But the problem is, is that in many marriages, the husband is well cared for, he is well loved, he is well kept, and his wife is falling apart at the seams. And so, I want to challenge you guys: know your wife. 
Know your wife. Understand her, how she desires to be understood. Don't do things like, ah, you don't know what you're talking about. I know, I know what you really mean. I know who you really, no, no, no. Understand her. That takes time, by the way. <laughs> it doesn't happen overnight. That takes time. But if you get to the heart of these questions, it can change your marriage. And I want to tell you, it can change your life, guys. It can radically change your life. If you would just put the time to love your wife and to know her in that way. Secondly, a godly husband honors his wife. Look back at verse number seven. A godly husband honors his wife. He says, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. He uses the word honor, and it's a word that means respect, revere, place a high value on something or someone. Get it, guys. We talked about she doesn't need to find her value out there in the world from somebody else or from some media account. She needs to find her value from you. You're her husband. You should give her that kind of value and honor that she does not need to seek it anywhere else because she is totally fulfilled and valued in her relationship, a lifetime of a relationship that you are giving to her. And then he says here that you're to honor her as something with high value, remembering that the wife is the weaker vessel. Now again, the term weaker vessel, it brings up all sorts of feelings, right? And I'll tell you this, I've seen my wife give birth four times. She is not the weaker vessel. (laughs) I've seen it. (laughs) I don't want to, well, I, I do want to forget it, but I've seen it. I mean, she's strong, man. But here's what we need to understand that primarily, primarily he's talking about the idea of physical weakness. He's not talking about moral or spiritual or intellectual at all whatsoever. Primarily, he's talking about physical weakness here. And he's not using the term to diminish them, but he's building the case for respecting them. Because generally speaking, very odd relationships that there's maybe a different equality of strength, but generally speaking, and it's the way that God created us. Men are, uh, are physically stronger. That's the primary emphasis. And the reason that he's emphasizing it is because at this time, again, abuse was very common in marriage. Non-Christian men would physically, sexually, verbally abuse their wives. And the contrast that Peter is giving here, again, is that a godly husband, somebody who knows the Lord, will not use his physical dominance to exploit or belittle or force himself or punish his wife into submission. Instead, what does he do? He esteems her, and he honors her, and he lifts her up, and he protects her physically. See, a godly husband knows that his wife is physically more vulnerable, but yet still spiritually equal. That's why we see in the verse there, it says that as being heirs together of the grace of life. Notice there, giving honor to the wife, the weaker vessel, as being heirs together. That means they are equal. An an heir is what you receive as a, as a, um, uh, I can't remember the word now, What's it called? Your, your parents pass away and they give you like five bucks. What's that called? Inheritance. inheritance. There you go. The inheritance. <laughs> My brain is, is shot. The inheritance that we receive from Christ, we are heirs together. It's equal, okay? It's equal before God. But yet we are still to give honor to her. So fellas, listen. If she is your spiritual equal and your wife is the co-inheritor of the grace of life, that means that she is highly valuable to God. And there are enough men in this world who dishonor women and treat their cars better than they do their wives. Men, Christian men, are called to be different. You should be courteous towards your wife. This means that your wife is not the old lady. She's not the old ball and chain, right? She's not. She is equal with you before God. Godly men do not use those terms to describe people who are their spiritual 
equal before God. Your wife is not second class. She's not second rate. She shouldn't be, you know, barefoot and in the kitchen and, uh, you know, wearing white to match the appliances. Like, none of that stuff should be said. I've heard all those things, okay? Your wife is to be highly, highly valued because a godly husband honors her wife. And lastly, a godly husband fears the Lord. I want you to see the last part of that verse, verse 7. It says that your prayers be not hindered. That your prayers be not hindered there at the end of verse number 7. He gives us a command to understand and to honor. And then he takes this situation so seriously and he boils it down that he says this. You husbands, your prayer life will suffer if you cause your wife to suffer. That word hindered means thwarted. It's the same word used in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 to describe Satan from stopping Paul from going to a church that he was supposed to go to and preach the gospel. It's the same word. And since we know that prayer is one of the power sources of marriage, I want you to get this quote. Jonah, you can hit that quote for me there. The Christian husband who chooses to not act like one is cutting off the power source to his own spiritual life and leadership. You are cutting off the power source to your marriage. You're cutting it off because you're choosing not to act as God wants you to act. This is a guy who's all show, but there's nothing there. He can turn the key and prayer all he wants, but the engine doesn't start. Is that a good manly analogy there? <laughs> it's not going anywhere. And to me, guys, this is a sobering reality. This is the kind of statement that God gives us that should shake you men. It should shake you out of your insensitive treatment and your insensitive and wrong dishonor of your wife. It should shake you up. It should shake you up. Not so you can run away, because that's our first intent, isn't it? I can't do it. I can't be a good husband, so I'm just going to... No, 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 no. This should shake you to do better. It should provoke you to good works. Provoke. I love that word, right? It means to stir up, to push, to emphasize. Now, this may seem harsh, but it's actually a gift for Christian marriages and Christian husbands, because it can shape our marriage. Think about this. When God chose to breathe out his word, when the Spirit of God chose to breathe out his word about this subject. He could have talked about any number of things, couldn't he? But what did God do? He divinely threatened us as men with negative results if we do not treat his daughter in the right way. I didn't see any threats towards wives, did you? But he says to us, there are going to be negative results if you do not treat my daughter as she should be treated. Guys, is God even hearing you right now? Is God even listening to your prayers? He's not going to till he treats your wife as you desire, or till you, you treat your wife as he desires. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6 says, Who the Lord loves, he chastens, he corrects, and he scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Again, this is for men. Men understand this, don't we? And God's saying, listen, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring a beating into your life because you're not treating your wife the way that you should. And you know what? That beating you might be receiving right now is a very poor relationship with your spouse. You might be struggling right now. And that might be because, fellas, I'm not, I'm not giving you all the blame. 
But as the leader of the home, right, there's a level of responsibility there that you need to recognize. And God is saying, listen, your prayers are being hindered, bro, because you're treating my daughter in the wrong way. If you ever wonder why your prayers for provision, your prayers for open doors, your prayers for wisdom, for guidance, your blessing, and it seems like your prayers are just going unanswered and you're not connected, it may be that you're not treating your wife as God has commanded you to. Listen, guys, my job today and my goal today is not to just point out where we're all wrong, but to point to what God has ordained as supremely right. And along the way, we need to hear what we're doing wrong. This message was for me today. And we need goals, we need marks that we can head towards because just like anything in life, if you stop pursuing growth in your relationships, if you stop pursuing growth in your Christian marriage, you're destined to struggle. And so many Christian marriages struggle today. Man, it's so sad to see the stats of divorce between unsaved and the saved. They're almost the same percentage of divorces that take place. And we know that that's not God's design. We know that, so something's wrong, something's broken. And it has to start in the heart of the two that God has brought together and made one flesh. There's something going on here and we need to get these things right. And I believe that we struggle because we stop pursuing biblical characteristics. And so I wanna encourage us, don't ignore God on this subject. Some of you right now may be so resistant right now. But I wanna remind us lastly, and I wanna put this on the screen, Jonah. God does not ask us to do anything that he will not enable and empower us to do. We need to get that, don't we? God does not, wives, this whole subject of submission, he is not saying to you like, here, I'm asking you to do something impossible. Absolutely not. Guys, you've been maybe treating your wife in the wrong way for for years, for years. It doesn't mean that you can't change now. Because with the power of Christ, the one who indwells us, we can do all things, including getting our marriages and our relationships back to where they need to be. Recognizing and holding in high value. And some of you might be saying, I don't even know where to start, Pastor Paul. Come and talk to me about it. I'd be happy to help you. Because I've made a billion mistakes that I can just point out along the way. You want to know about empathy? I I can empathize, okay? Because of my own shortcomings in so many ways. But praise God, there is healing and restoration that can come because of who Jesus Christ is. Not because of you, by the way. Not because of you, but because of Jesus. Because of who he is. As we saw in the beginning of this series, our living hope that works within us. And God cares about your marriage. He cares about your approach. And so he gives us a roadmap. He gives us a roadmap to follow, to succeed and fulfill. And it starts with submission in the home and submission to the home. So let's seek his word. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning.